God. Amen. How many enjoy Bible study? started last week a uh, three-part series. Uh, we are uh, talking about one God. Everybody say one God. All right, so we're talking about one God, but we're doing it in three parts. Amen. And so uh, we are uh, doing this a little differently uh, in that, uh, you know, many uh, studies about the what we call the oneness of God. Uh, they will, uh, you know, really kind of make sure that they, they go from one portion of Scripture and reconcile it with another portion of Scripture and, and go all throughout the Scripture to pull those, those Scriptures. But, but I've taken on a little different challenge, and, and, and it's not really meant to be a challenge, but uh, I want to show you one God in the Old Testament who is also one God in the New Testament that he did not change along the way, that he is still simply one God. And so uh, we, we started last week looking at the Old Testament, all the scripture, not all of them, but many scriptures uh, regarding one God, that God uh, is relating to his people as one. And uh, in, in that we looked at Old Testament scripture, uh, and so tonight we will be looking at uh, I would say New Testament scripture, but we're going to look specifically in the Gospels. We're going to we're going to maybe t dip our toe outside of those waters, uh, just just maybe once or twice tonight. Uh, but we're going to stick within the Gospels to talk about one God. And then next week we're going to go into the epistles, the letters uh, of the apostles to the churches, as well as. Uh, John's writing of the Revelation. So we'll look at those as well to begin to put all the pieces together. Everybody with me? All right. Now I will reiterate that I am not a scholar. I simply am thankful to be able to uh, understand uh, much of what I read, uh, that God has opened my eyes to see truth, and I am extremely thankful for it. Um, do you remember the uh, two-word term that I introduced to you last week? The two-word term that I introduced to you last week. Okay, monarchianism is one of them, one of those two words. Okay, modalistic. So, modalistic monarchianism. Not malarkey, monarchianism, Okay. Uh, monarchianism means one rule. So uh, when we look at the two words, modalistic, monarchianism, mo modalistic is, as you can see, the root word is mode. So it's talking about how God has related. And so uh, throughout history, they've, we've tried to find ways to explain uh, this, this God who, who is beyond explanation. 
and how God has related to humankind. And, and so as Pentecostals, uh, specifically uh, what we call oneness Pentecostals, uh, much of the church world puts us under this, this umbrella of modalistic monarchianism. And I, I will say again, like I did last week, I reject that, that title, uh, even though it, you know, I can definitely make argument for it. But I reject it simply because I don't want to be under a title like that. I, I want to know what the Bible says. I want to go with what the Scripture says, not what some title that somebody came up with tries to box us in. Okay? And I challenge you, don't let somebody box you in thinking that they know exactly what you believe unless you tell them what you believe, which means you need to know what you believe. Somebody say amen to that. Okay. So uh, modalistic refers to uh, the, the different modes or what we call manifestations of God as far as how God is related to us, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, each of those serving as modes or manifestations of one God. And the reason we have to uh, reject that, or at least I do, uh, is because God manifested himself many times in many ways. Remember? God manifested himself uh, to uh, Jacob. Remember when he wrestled with him at the river Jabbok? Okay, that's just one of many times that God manifested himself, but we're not including that one in the modes, okay? Simply because God will relate to us in whatever form or fashion God wants to or chooses to do so. And so, so we, we have to be careful to not come under uh, titles, things like that, uh, you know, that, that put us in a box necessarily. So, uh, I simply believe what the scripture has to say, uh, and so uh, I also in, gave you another term last week that if you are uh, in that box that the church world wants to put you in as modalistic monarchians, monarchians uh, that uh, uh, if you simply believe that you are, there is one God all by himself, the church world will put you into another category. Do you remember what that is called? It starts with an H. Heretics. You are a heretic. Remember, I mentioned Brother Brother Hadabaugh down in uh, Cooper City, near Miami. He is, he calls himself the Happy Heretic uh, because if you believe something different than what Orthodox Christianity or Catholicism believes, you are a heretic. So I that is one label. In this instance, I will take on. I'm. I'm going to join Brother Hadabaugh and be a happy heretic. That's all right. Now, we understand that if this was back in the uh, medieval days, uh, we probably would have been killed for it. Uh, and so, so just understand that their persecution will arise. Amen. But we need to understand and know what we believe. That's why we teach. That's why we, we study. Because we need to know what we believe not just enough to say you believe something, specifically in this case, the, the oneness of God. You need to know it. You need to know why you believe it. Because you need to give an answer for it. Okay? Amen. 
You know, the scripture tells us in the Proverbs that a wise man winneth souls. Now, that's not talking about necessarily uh, reaching people for Christ. That's talking about showing them your way of thinking, bringing them over to your side. Okay? And so we need to know what we believe from the scripture, not just because pastor said so. Amen. Not just because our church believes it. You need to believe it, and you need to know why you believe it. So, uh, become a happy heretic with me. Praise God. Uh, we read uh, in our text last week uh, that uh, Paul was standing before uh, uh, the governor, and he said, But this I confess, uh, this is Acts 24, 14, This I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. So we, at least I, join my voice with Paul's, that just like uh, the, after the way that they call heresy, I'm worshiping the God of my fathers. Amen. Anybody with me tonight? Praise God. Paul was being classified as a heretic because he was teaching something, believing something different than what a good Jewish scholar slash Pharisee should believe uh, because he believed that Jesus was the Christ, that he was God incarnate. But he stood on trial for those teachings. So, uh, let me reiterate one more time. I am not David Norris. Scholar, expert in many things, scripture. Amen. I am a lowly pastor just trying to make it to heaven. Praise God. So we made our way through the Old Testament last, last week, looked at many scriptures that guide us along our way. Uh, I love, love, love reading the scripture and understanding that God himself, he didn't, he didn't leave it as a question mark. That God himself said, I am God all by myself. I can look in front of me and behind me, beside me. There's no God anywhere else. I'm it. Look unto me and be saved, is what he told his people. He said, you're my witnesses, that I'm it. And so God himself in the Old Testament scripture made it clear. So I want to just take you quickly. We read this last week, but I want to take you quickly to kind of set the stage for tonight. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Get your Bibles. Get the pages working. Deuteronomy 6, verse number 4. When you have it, say amen. Cheating and using the, the screen, say amen. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Let's read this one verse together. Uh, ready? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be. Go ahead, shall be in thine heart, 
and thou shalt teach them diligently. So, that, so this is not a small thing. You shall teach them diligently unto thy children, shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when you rise up, you'll bind them for a sign upon your hand, they'll be as frontlets between your eyes, you'll write them upon the posts of your house and, upon, and on thy gates, and it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give thee good, great and good cities, which thou buildest not, and he continues on. And so this is a big deal. Amen. This is coupled together with the first and great commandment. Right? It's the first and great commandment. So God is telling his people, I'm it. It's one God. That's what made them different than all the other nations. All the other nations serve uh, many gods. A plethora, a pantheon, however you want to say it, of gods. But, but the Jews, the Hebrews, were to serve one God. Okay? And that's what God says. This needs to be taught. This needs to be spoken of every day that you live. That's how serious God took it. This needs to be something that you speak of when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, when you're going throughout your day. It needs to be as frontless between your eyes. It needs to be as a reminder on your hand. It needs to be on your doorpost when you go out and when you come in. That's how serious it was. One God everywhere you look. One God. Amen. So, that's our text for tonight. That's the, the foundation, and even though we're going into the Gospels, we need to understand that before we go into the Gospels. Okay? We read that God, Jehovah, gave to Moses the instruction of how important this is. When we look at this, we see that they were to serve only one God, Him alone. We read that scripture uh, last week, multiple scriptures, most of which God was speaking of Himself. He's God all by himself, no God beside him. He alone is Savior, etc., etc., etc. So if this is the case, and the Jews believed in one God, that he was to be their only hope of salvation, and of whom they were only to serve alone. This was to be taught to every Hebrew child, a topic of conversation multiple times in the day, one God, one God, one God, one God. And the time came that when the next step in God's plan was to come to fruition, that salvation was manifest. Salvation had to uh, come to earth. Where does that salvation come from? Old Testament. God, right? He alone is Savior. So, how is salvation to come to earth? If God's it, all by himself, he's got to come. Amen. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The angel speaking to Joseph in his dream. 
speaking of the child that was to be born. She shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name. Sorry, let's say that one more time. She shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name. Jesus. Why? Say it with conviction. Right, because you've got to teach this to somebody. That God of the Old Testament who said, I'm salvation all by myself. The angel was telling Joseph that you're going to call this child Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sin. Amen. All right, so let's, there's, there's so much to talk about. I'm going to try to keep it in a relatively normal time frame. And my mind may go scatter different places because I just tend to get excited. Uh, and, and I've got so many thoughts that I've, I've tried to wrestle into uh, an outline for tonight. But let's go back. We just came out of the Old Testament. Let's go back to creation. Anybody remember what the first verse of Scripture? Convince me. Right. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Okay, so God did it, right? Okay, let's see, let's see if John gets it right. John chapter 1, verse number 1. John chapter 1. Let's see if there is a problem in Scripture or if it is reconciled together. John chapter 1, verse number 1. I encourage you, implore you, memorize these Scriptures. John chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Does that sound like Genesis chapter 1? Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. But then we jump over into John chapter 1. We get a little different view of that creation. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things, all things were made by Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was, what was it? The light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehends it not. That sounds like another telling of the creation story. That we get a little different glimpse of it now from this perspective. So, we go back to creation. We see that God's creation, amen, responds, flows from His very Word. God's thought put into action through His speech. God's expression of Himself 
of his plan, of his will. Creation did not happen without the Word. The Word was not only with God, the Word was God. Let's break this down just a little bit. Anybody know what that word, word there in John chapter 1 is in the Greek? Say it out loud. Logos. Okay, all you Greek scholars, good job. Logos. What is Logos? Anybody want to volunteer an answer? The word, yeah, good, good job. What is the Logos? The Logos definition is something said, including the thought. It means a topic or subject of discourse. It is reasoning or motive. It is the computation or calculation. And there's other uh, definitions that come along from this, uh, uh, synonyms that you can use as well, uh, reckoning, preaching, speech. All of these simply are expressing or showing the expression of God. So when we look at John chapter 1, the scriptures that we read, it is the expression or the mind or the will of God as he works his purpose in the creation that he is making. It is from God, but it is also God. Are you with me? Okay, that might... That might cause some confusion there because you need to understand you cannot separate the expression from the person you cannot separate the words from the speaker or the thought from the thinker everybody with me now we we are not uh, old enough to remember Pablo Picasso least most of us aren't I don't even know when he died but anybody know who Pablo Picasso is? Famous painter? Okay. How do we know Pablo Picasso? If we haven't met him. By his art. By his creation. Just like what you create, what you do, what you speak, what you say, what you think. All of those are extensions of you. You can't separate those from you. They are you. And so is the Logos of God. They're not separate from Him. They are simply His expression, His working of His will. It just happens to be that the expression of God gives form in a different manner than you or I could possibly create. His expression created light in Genesis chapter 1. And we also see it creating light in John 1. His thoughts reached into our future to form a plan for his, for our redemption. But time did not limit his expression. Please take off, take, get, get out of the box in your mind. Stop trying to limit God by what you can understand. Let me say it this way, okay? Time did not limit God's expression. 
because we read further in John chapter 1, verse number 14, that the word, that same word that was spoken in just a few verses earlier, that was with God, that was God, that all things were made by him, without, anything, without him was not anything made that was made. And so we read in verse number 14 that the word was made flesh. So in just 14 verses of John's first chapter of writing, he goes all the way back to the beginning, and now here he is, here he is in our calendar at A.D. 0. 4,000 years of time in 14 verses. Pretty cool. That God's not limited by our thinking, by our understanding. So this logos, the expression, the, the creation of God, how God has worked His will and plan, Amen. It comes to fruition as he expresses himself by becoming flesh. The word was made flesh, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. To look at him was to behold the glory of God. what was said to Joseph in his dream. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Actually, let's, let's go to verse 21. Let's, let's skip, skip a few verses. We'll come back to those. Matthew 1, 21. She shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name. Why? Okay, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the Lord, of the Lord by the prophet, saying in verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name... What? Say that, say that with conviction. Emmanuel, which being interpreted is... Wow. God with us. The Jews only believe in one God. That's what they taught. That was supposed to be their conversation multiple times in a day. There is not any other God beside him. They look unto him for their salvation. And yet here we see the angel telling Joseph in his dream that your wife is going to give birth to a child. You're going to call his name Jesus because he's going to save your, their, his people from their sins. And they shall call him Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. One God. One God. God of the Old Testament is still God in the New Testament. He does not change. With him there is no variableness, no shadow of turning. All right, so we have to, uh, I, I told you last week that, I, that we would take some time at different points and address some of the, what we call difficulties of, of addressing uh, uh, Orthodox Trinitarian uh, theology, okay? So how do we address 
when Jesus is called the Son of God or Son of Man. Time and again, we're confronted with those words, Son of God. What do we do with it? Do we stumble? Do we fret? Do we find a way to try to get pastor to come, be a part of the conversation? I know that happens. So how do we answer? Now first, let me just back up and ask you, is anywhere in Scripture, is there anywhere where the Scripture says God the Son? Anybody? Okay, you're, you're making some good guesses. No, there's nowhere in Scripture that says God the Son. Multiple times the Scripture does say Son of God or Son of Man. But nowhere does the Scripture say God the Son. Key differentiating, okay? That's a very big deal. Okay, so how do we talk about, how do we answer somebody that challenges you? This is because this is what's called... Uh, starts starts with the, the it's a word that starts with the letter A when you're giving a defense of the gospel apologetics okay making apology or giving a defense okay so this is apologetics so how do you answer when someone says uh, talks about the son of God or son of man okay Luke chapter one verse thirty five. The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. What are you going to do with that? All right, let's throw the, uh, the other part, part in there. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. I told you we we're going to go back to that. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away priv privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, now son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Okay? Let me, let me, we're going to spend a little, just a few minutes here, okay? My first question is this. Was Jesus the Son of God or the Son of the Holy Ghost? Read the scriptures. Who got Mary pregnant? The Holy Spirit, right. So was it God the Father? Was it the Holy Spirit? Scripture says pretty plainly, the Holy Spirit. So, was Jesus really the Son of God? That's, the, that's what we're getting to. That's what we're getting to. That's what we're getting to. We're trying to understand from, in, in giving a defense of the gospel, how when we, when we are confronted with the, the idea of the sonship of Christ, is he God the Son? That's not found anywhere in Scripture. So when we talk about the Son of God or Son of Man, how do we deal with it? So in dealing with it, my first question is, okay, well, let's look at 
the gospel where Jesus is being told, told about to uh, Joseph and to Mary, that both of them are being told that it's going to be the Holy, Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, that's going to get Mary pregnant. So, so is it God the Father that got him, that conceived him, or the Holy Spirit that conceived him? So that's something to, to wrestle with, okay? So that's a question that you can, you can give back to somebody that's challenging you, okay? Again, we're not confrontational. A wise, wise man winneth souls, okay? okay? That, now, that may sound trivial, what we just talked about, that question. may sound trivial, but if we're seeking to get it right, you can't let something like that pass without confronting it, okay? So, as those who believe in one God all by himself, we can easily say that the Holy Ghost is God because Jesus said it himself just a few chapters later in John chapter 4 that God is spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth, okay? All right, so what do we do with the Son? Well, quite frankly, we do the same thing that those who believe the orthodox definition of the Trinity. If they call him God the Son, they have to answer the same question we do. Okay? Deity become flesh. Right? They have to answer it the same way we do. So how do we answer it? Anybody? How do we how do we deal with God in flesh? I'm not trying to trip anybody up. Don't think I'm trying to catch you. So very simple it's something that, that we call the dual nature of Christ. The dual nature of Christ. Okay? Jesus fully God, fully man. Okay? He didn't have the nature of you and I because His Spirit was different than ours. He had flesh like you and I, but His Spirit was different. Okay? So in either case, Trinity or one God, uh, you must believe what we call the dual nature of Christ, fully God, fully man. As man, he got tired and he slept, but as God, he gave rest to the weary. As man, he got hungry and he ate, but as God, he fed the 5,000. He was broken and he was beaten and killed as a man, but as God, he raised himself from the grave. Amen. So whenever you speak of the Son, whether it be Son of God or Son of Man, you are always Everybody say always. You are always referring to the flesh. You are never referring. Everybody say never. You are never referring to the deity of Christ. Okay? Whenever you are confronted with the sonship of Christ, it is always related to the flesh. Because the spirit was not born. The flesh was. Okay? That's not just you saying that. That's not just pastor saying that. That is scripture as well. Never does the term son refer to the deity of Christ. 
So what do we do with Jesus' baptism? Anybody know what happened at Jesus' baptism? According to the doctrine of the Trinity, the most beautiful thing ever that happened was that Jesus was baptized and all of a sudden the heavens opened, the sun shined down upon Jesus, and a voice spoke out from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, and the, the spirit like a dove descended down upon Jesus. That's scripture. What do you do with it? Run and hide? Is that what? Anybody want to offer an idea? Take it. Take it where? What do you do with it? Hide it in your heart. <laughs> okay. So, so again, we we look at the dual nature of Christ, fully God, fully man. So, first, does God need to be baptized? No. Which nature of Christ needed to be baptized? His flesh, I, to fulfill all righteousness. The Spirit is already righteous, but the flesh, because He needed to be and fulfill all the points of flesh like you and I, which is why He went into the wilderness to be tempted in all points like you and I are. Okay? So, Here's my, here's my other question. Remember, we've already talked about it. We've taken God out of the box, right? God's not limited by our thinking. Can God be in Christ and still be in heaven? Yeah? Okay, I agree. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll get to this next week, but I'm going to go ahead and, and throw this. I told you every once in a while we'll dip our toes in the other waters. Is, is that, you know, Paul writes and says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So just as Jesus stood there in the water, God can speak from the heavens. Well, what about the dove? Well, is, can God do that too? What do you, what, he can do anything. So why does it have to be, why does God have to be three to do something like that? All it is is simply showing God's recognition not to himself and not to Jesus. Jesus didn't need that. That was for everybody else. Everybody else needed to recognize the ministry of the man Christ Jesus. Everybody with me? All right. Okay. So the voice was a proclamation, symbolic showing of the presence of God in the form of a dove, but still the Son refers to the flesh. Because if this was a trinity, then why, why would God the Son need to be baptized? They've got to answer the same question that you and I do. All right, everybody, everybody with me? Didn't lose anybody? All right, so 
So let's look at a, a few more scriptures. Let's go, let's talk about uh, Jesus, the name of Jesus. Let's, again, we're going to dip our toes outside of the Gospels for just a moment. The book of Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. This is a, this is a big deal here in this chapter. Moses was on, on the, the hillside. He was watching his flocks and and, and so he, he saw a bush that was burning, but was not consumed. Everybody familiar with that story? Okay. And so he, he wanted to get a closer look. And so out of that bush, God began to speak to Moses. Okay. And so we go to verse uh, number 13. So God is sending Moses to Egypt, back to Egypt. He's going to deliver God's people out of Egypt and take them to the land of promise. Okay? Moses is unsure about this. He's not sure about himself. In verse number 12, or sorry, verse number 13, Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? And what shall I say unto them? Okay, that's a, that's a legitimate question. So God said unto Moses in verse 14, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. That is where we get the covenant name of God. Jehovah, Yahweh. You read it in the King James most of the time as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When you see that in the Old Testament, that you're reading the covenant name of God, Jehovah or Yahweh. Okay? So Moses, when you go back, tell them Jehovah. Tell them I am has sent you. Okay? All right. So, why did we go there? Let's jump forward to John chapter 5, verse 37. John chapter 5, verse 37. Somebody say amen when you get there. All right, John chapter 5, verse 37. We're going to read a good few verses here. Uh, the Father himself, which has sent me, has borne witness of me, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. Did you hear that? You've not seen God. You've not heard his voice or seen his shape. Wow. So obvious. And you've not his word abiding in you for whom he has, for whom he has sent him you believe not. Search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. Who did, who did God testify of? Nobody else but himself. He told his, he told his people in Isaiah that you are my witnesses. That I'm it. Jesus says, search the scriptures in them. You think you have eternal life. 
but they're testifying of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. That sounds a lot like God's people in the Old Testament. I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that you have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. We see that multiple times in the Old Testament. This is just, Jesus is just putting it back. You guys are doing this, repeating the same pattern that your fathers did. I come in my Father's name. How can you believe, verse 44, which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom you trust. Moses knew the name of God. And he knew the character of God and the glory of God. Verse 46, For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Did you read the same scriptures I read in Exodus? Who wrote the book of Exodus? Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, what we call the law. Moses, who did Moses write about? Jehovah, Yahweh, the I Am. Jesus says, Moses wrote about me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my word? Amen. Let's jump to John chapter 10, verse 30. Again, we are trying to limit ourselves tonight to the Gospels. Yes, we've dipped our toes elsewhere briefly, but uh, only to help us get back to where we need to be in the Gospels. John chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Okay, now you might say like the Trinitarians say, well, they're, they're one in unity. Okay, well, you could say that. That could possibly be true. Uh, but, the Jesus, or, but the Jews, in verse 31, took up stones again to stone him. Why? Jesus answered them, said, Many good works have I showed you from my Father, which, which of those works... Are you stoning me for? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, listen to this, thou being a man, makest thyself God. What? They wanted to kill him because he was proclaiming by calling, by saying, I am, 
that he was making himself God. When if they only understood it, if they understood the scripture, they would understand that it wasn't a man making himself God, but it was God who made himself a man. Whew. Let's see what, what was happening. What, what was the backstory of this? John chapter number 8. John chapter number 8. This is kind of the, the, the stuff that set the tone for when they wanted to stone Jesus. John chapter number 8, verse 53. The Pharisees said, Are you greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets, which are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? It's a pretty direct question. Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom you say that he is your God. Okay, these are little things that you need to take note of. You say that he's your God, yet you have not known him. But I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I shall be a liar unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. Verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Verse 57. Then said the Jews unto him, You are not even 50 years old, and yet you've seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was. Somebody say it out loud. Woo! You're not even 50 years old. Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. My goodness. You can teach the oneness of God from the Gospels, from Jesus' own words and ministry. Before Abraham was, I am, Jesus said. Amen. In John chapter 14, we continue on. John 14, verse number 5. This is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. I'm going to pause here. I've only got about another 40 minutes to go. John chapter 14, verse number 5. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, one of our favorites, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And he continues, if you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth, you know him. What, sorry, what did you say? Wait, can you say that one more time? Oh, and have seen him. Anybody else catch that? Thomas, you know the way. 
And so Philip decides to get into the conversation. Oh, these, these disciples. Philip says unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough for us. It sufficeth us. Jesus, I could, I could just almost see him, oh, Philip, have I been so long time with you, and yet you don't know me? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou, then show us the Father? Have I been walking with you so long? We're in John chapter 14. Jesus is getting ready to die. This is three years into the ministry. Have these three years been for naught, Philip? You've seen me. You've seen the Father. Amen. John chapter 20. Verse 26. These disciples are, are testing Jesus. You just see it. John 20, verse 26. Now this is after Jesus' resurrection. Uh, Thomas, uh, he doesn't, I don't want to say he doesn't quite believe that Jesus is resurrected, but he just wants proof. He wants the evidence. And so after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them this time. Then came, then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach here your finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither your hand, thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And what was Thomas's response? Somebody read it out loud. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. This was a good Jewish boy. He's only supposed to believe in one God. And yet here he is, looking Jesus in the eye, after his resurrection. My Lord and my God. He's not breaking a commandment. He's beholding the glory of God face of Jesus Christ. That's another scripture we're going to get to next week. Let's go to um, Matthew 22 verse 41. We're almost done tonight. There is much more we could study tonight. I think the point is being made. Matthew 22, verse 41. When the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. He said unto them, Well, how then does David in spirit call him Lord, saying, 
The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him, and so they stopped asking him questions. Jesus, the scripture shows us, is the root and the offspring of David. Remember the dual nature of Christ? Okay? As man, he's the offspring of David, coming from the lineage that you can find in the books of Matthew and Luke. As the root, he is the deity. He is the creator of all living things, including mankind, from which David comes. Jesus is the root and the offspring of David. Amen. I can't wait to get into study next week. I, just the, the fact that the disciples have such understanding. Amen. All right. Let's stand together. We're going to go to our final portion of Scripture tonight. John chapter 14 and verse 15. Actually, you know what? Just one moment. We're going to go to another place real quick. What was it that every good Jewish home was supposed to talk about multiple times in the day? One God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Just real quick, I want to throw this in there. Matthew chapter 22, uh, verse uh, 34 when the Pharisees heard that he put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. One of them said, uh, or which was a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Jesus was reiterating, there's one. None else. One. Amen. I just wanted to throw that in there because he had to live just like every in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. John chapter 14. This is where I wanted to finish up tonight. John chapter 14. Because when we're talking about the doctrine of the oneness of God, and the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, this is uh, a something that you have to uh, wrestle with, confront, deal with. Uh, is uh, the Holy Holy Spirit? We haven't hardly talked about the Holy Spirit. Now we'll see some of this uh, in the in the uh, epistles that we're going to talk about next week. Uh, but I wanted to kind of let this be the lead in to next week's study. John chapter fourteen. Verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. It sounds like he's talking about somebody else. Hmm. Even the Spirit of truth, verse 17, whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him. But then Jesus changes 
It's almost like he turns to them and looks them dead in the eye. He says, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Who do they know? And who's dwelling with them? Jesus is. It's a good answer, but just to answer directly, Jesus is. You know him. That's why I said it's almost like he looks them dead in the eye. He says, you know him. He's dwelling with you and shall be in you. We'll continue on. Verse 18, he says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. We're going to, there's so many more scriptures I keep wanting to pull in from from the potential lesson next week. There's so much goodness. But we're told in in the epistles, and I'm going to quickly dip my toe in that. We're told in the epistles that if you have not the spirit of Christ, you are none of his. So we're going to see next week, is it going to be the Father in us, the Son in us, or the Holy Spirit in us? Which one's it going to be? Because we see all three of them in the epistles. Filling every believer. I say that it's one and the same. One God does not change. But that God whose salvation could be found nowhere else but himself, that he became a man, dwelt among us, and as such, after his resurrection and ascension, he made way so that he could come back and not just be with us, but be in us. Amen. I am so thankful for the word of God tonight. I'm looking forward to next week. I, I've I better start studying now because I'm, I'm I gotta try to keep it down to uh, say less than an hour. Amen. But I'm I'm excited. I'm excited about it. Praise God. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are so thankful, so blessed tonight by your word. We ask you, Lord, to let your word, God, get down into the very fiber of our being. Let it become marrow to our bones, Lord Jesus. I pray tonight. Uh, Help us, Lord, to memorize Scripture, to hide this word in our hearts. God, and I pray, Lord, give us a holy boldness. God, to give an answer.